Hi everyone, it's wonderful to be able to be with you all. Uh, all my love and greetings to all of you there at High Point Life, particularly, of course, Pastor Stephen, Flora, all the elders, all the team there. We love you all. And I want you to know that we pray for you incredibly regularly. I would think almost every week in our staff gathering, we're praying for Malaysia. Oftentimes during the services, we're mentioning your nation, praying not just for the COVID situation, but for uh, the whole uh, country of Malaysia and all that you're going through at the moment. So just understand that you're not far from our hearts, that we love you. And we feel like there's a divine connection there that goes beyond just simply being uh, brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ in the kingdom. Uh, Pastor Stephen has asked me to speak to you all on the subject of one love, what it means to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. I want to read to you where that phrase comes from out of Matthew's Gospel 22, verse 35. It says, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, that's Jesus, a question, testing him and saying to him, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? It's interesting, isn't it, that he's testing him. He's trying to trick him up. But Jesus said to him, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I believe that the Christian life is not complicated. My experience of now, this is my 46th year in Christian leadership. And my experience over all those years has been that people don't stumble over the complicated, largely unknown parts of the Bible but we tend to stumble over the same simple things that the Bible makes very plain. It's not the obscure things. It's not the tricky bits of the book of Ezekiel or the book of Revelation that are maybe hard to understand or some of the more contentious topics. My experience has been that the people that used to follow Christ and then stop following Christ, it's usually not because of some great end time thing. It's generally because of one of these things I'm going to give you today that I believe are foundational to this whole subject of what does it mean to love God? It certainly doesn't mean perfection because none of us have that yet. I do believe that it means going in the right direction on our path to perfection. But I've discovered that so far in my life, perfection seems to be uh, you know, one of those uh, things that no matter how fast I run, no matter how far I go, perfection's always just that little bit further than where I am. So we're not talking about that. We're not talking about do you do everything perfectly and properly. What we're saying, though, is that for every single one of us, these simple things, if you get these right, I'd almost guarantee that you'll last. I'll almost guarantee that a decade from now, you'll still be loving Christ, you'll still be serving His people, and you'll still be glad for that moment where you said yes to Christ. I am still eternally grateful for that Sunday night service in a little church in Brisbane where I, where I had been so impacted by the Holy Spirit that I knew I needed to say yes to Christ. 
and I went forward as was the way we used to do it in that day particularly. And I walked forward and I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And you know, there's been great days and there's been difficult days. There's been high points. There's been absolute huge numbers of miracles that I've seen. But there's also been days that were difficult. There were days that felt like they were the end, even though obviously they weren't. And so I want to really encourage you to get these, there's just five, I want you to get these right in your life. Again, over and over, when I've seen someone stumble, it's usually one of these quite simple things. And I believe that they're things that every one of us can build into our life and get right. Number one, the first thing that loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind means is that I commit to putting God first in my life. Matthew 6, verse 33, again, well-known scripture. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He's talking to his disciples who are about to step out into ministry. They're about to leave while well, they've already left their jobs. And I've got no doubt that some of them were sitting there because quite a number of them had families. Peter certainly had a wife because Jesus healed his mother-in-law, so we know he was married. And I believe many of them had family and I'm sure the concerns would have been there weighing on their heart. Do you remember the parable of the sower and how that some of the seed got planted where there were also thorns growing? It came up quickly, but the scripture says, and the cares of this world choked out the good seed that God had planted. If you and I are going to put God first in our life, that means I'm not going to put my worries first. I'm not going to put my fears first. I'm not going to even put what the world is doing. So many people at the moment are talking about end times, but they're looking into the world for the signs when I believe that the church is never meant to be guided by what's happening out there, we're meant to be looking inside the church. Jesus said he's coming back for a bride without spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such thing. Well, I think that really then our focus ought to be how many people can I reach? What kind of life as a disciple can I lead? Where do I need to grow? Where do I need to change? I think the greatest signs of Christ's return are what the church looks like, not what the world looks like. And so putting God first in your life means that everything else comes somewhere after second. Think about it a minute. Jesus never said what was to come second or third or fourth or fifth. I've heard people say over the years things like, well, you know, Pastor, you know, what was my priorities? Is it God first and then family second, then ministry and try to put them all into boxes? But you understand Jesus never said that. He simply said this. He said, seek first the kingdom, put it first. And then he said, everything else will find its right place. I've discovered when I put the kingdom first, my family doesn't suffer. My family is blessed. I've discovered when I put the kingdom first, my business doesn't suffer. My business is blessed. I discover when I put the kingdom first, my life is not uh, destroyed. It's built up. And I want to encourage you to put him first. And that means you put his word first. That means whatever this book says, that's what I hold to. Uh, you know, we're living in a world right now where so many people are acting as though this book is the book of suggestions. 
that Jesus gave, the 10 suggestions, the 10 options, you know, but he never, the Bible gives us the 10 commandments. And Jesus said to his disciples, this is what you've got to do. Live this kind of a life. So put his word first. That means you put his wishes above yours. That means before you make a great decision, you're going to ask, what's the will of God in this? I just don't understand a Christian life that goes, I'm going to take God's voice to me when I want it. But other than that, no, I'm just going to go and run my own life. That's a crazy way to live your life. You know, you wouldn't, if you were lost in a desert somewhere, rather you wouldn't pull out a compass and go, well, today I feel like following its directions. But tomorrow I might change my mind. Uh, Let's put God first in our life. Secondly, second thing I believe that loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind means is that I commit to a life of purpose. I, again, believe it's so foundational for every one of us. Purpose is not a title. Purpose is not a role. Purpose is not a position. Purpose is knowing that every single day of my life, regardless of what others say or do, every single day of my life, I am called and I am chosen and I choose to live like that. I do believe that whether I'm in a pulpit or whether I'm in a paddock, it really doesn't matter. I'm called and I'm chosen. I live a life of purpose regardless of whether I have a platform or whether I've got a pulpit, uh, whether other people are asking my opinion or not, live called and chosen regardless. I love that verse in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 22. Let me read it to you. And Paul is writing from prison. And he says this, All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Philippians 4 verse 22. And get the picture. You know the story. Paul has appealed under Caesar uh, when he was put on trial, when he was accused as a Roman citizen. They all had the right, I appeal under Caesar to be my judge. And so then he's taken by armed soldiers off to Rome where he awaits the opportunity to present his case before Caesar. And so there he is confined and he's restricted, but he doesn't go, oh, well, purpose is parked while I wait for a better day. But he lives a life of purpose And people in Caesar's household come to Christ because this man is in restriction. Think about that a minute. Don't listen to me, church. Don't think to yourself, when COVID's over, when the restrictions are gone, when we're out of lockdown, I will engage with divine purpose in my life. That's not, you know, my ministry will get started again. That's the wrong way to think about it. That is thinking about it as though it's a role or a title. Every single day of your life, Maybe the only thing you can do right now where you are is to pray. But even that, I'd go, well, it's actually not the only thing I can do. Like it's the last resort. It's the first resort of every believer, isn't it? We get in whatever situation we're in, we live a life of purpose. And the truth is there are no part-time ministers of the gospel. There's no part-time parts of your body. It's not like your hand goes, well, today you're a part of the body, but tomorrow, I'd, you know, we're all Lego and you pull a bit off. The reality is that every part of your body has got to be full time. You know, your lungs don't kind of say, well, today's Monday, I'm taking a day off. You know, your brain can't go, well, you know what, um, uh, even when you're asleep, your brain is thinking. 
So think about that with me a minute and make the decision. Come on, make the commitment. I'm going to live a life of purpose. I really believe that many Christians have come a bit unstuck because they've looked for a label to put on their life. You know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, you know, ministries of this, 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 and this, and they go through all the lists and these are the gifts I have and these are the ministries I have. I actually think that's the wrong way to view the Christian life. I believe that what you've got to say is, I'm called. I'm called today. I'm called tomorrow. And I'm going to live that regardless of how the circumstances of my life change. Amen. Here's number three. Third thing here is that we need to commit to life-giving relationships. Oh, mercy me. If you were to ask me about those first three, I would say right there, just in those three things, would be, in my opinion, somewhere about 80 to 90% of all the people that I've seen stop following Christ in a dedicated way, it'll be one of those three. And probably what right up there is certainly this third one, where people allow offence or people allow disappointment or allow some kind of conflict to take place in their life. And instead of dealing with it biblically, instead of dealing with it in a healthy way, they allow it to push them outside of uh, the will of God for their life. How many people do you know who used to walk with God and then they got offended at a pastor, a preacher, a brother, a sister? Uh, and because they allowed that offense to get inside of their life, they park their destiny until some time in the future. It's no wonder that one of the things Jesus taught the most about is about conflict and how to deal with it. Let me read to you again, Matthew 5, all these scriptures, you've heard them all before, but I've discovered that a lot of times people have heard them, but they're just not doing them. Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Come on, stop right there. How many Christians do you know who actually do that? Seriously. How many Christians do you know who get into a conflict and bless the person that they're in conflict with. Or who say, I feel used. He says, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Listen to me. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking about the devil's work and the devil's realm. He's talking to believers that are in the kingdom of God, that are in this thing called the wonderful body of Christ. And yet they allow a conflict or some disagreement. And, and sometimes I've seen the strangest things occur and people allow those things to take them out of the place of loving God. See, the Bible says, if you cannot love your brother whom you can see, how can you say you love God whom you can't see? I, I honestly think that the Bible gives no alternative but forgiveness. It's just that I get to forgive people or I can choose unforgiveness, but there's no in-between. Well, I forgive them, but I, you know, I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor. Uh, one young person went to another they had a conflict with and they looked at him and they said, I want you to know that I love you, but only in the Lord. And we all had a bit of a laugh about that because what they were really saying was, I choose the doctrine of forgiveness 
but I don't have the spirit of forgiveness. You know, forgiveness isn't always easy, by the way, and neither is walking your way through difficulty or through disagreement. Sometimes it's actually really, really hard. And sometimes everything within you wants to do the opposite of what Jesus said. And you don't want to bless and you don't want to pray for. You want to pray against and you want to see God, you know, take them out of your world. And yet Jesus says, do the opposite. Verse 45 continues on that you may be the sons or the daughters of your father in heaven. Think about that a minute. One of the prerequisites or one of the signs that I'm in the family of God is the way I treat people I don't get on with. That's huge. That's a massive, massive thing. Think about it again. One of the signs that I'm in the kingdom of God is the way I respond to people I don't get on well with. That doesn't mean you've got to be a doormat. That doesn't mean you've got to just allow people to treat you poorly. It does mean that in a mature way, I've got to have to resolve these things. I've got to do it without bitterness. I've got to do it without hatred. I've got to do it without any kind of uh, dishonor. I've got to do it in a way that honors God. And I'm just amazed over all the years how many people I've seen not do that. I've seen fellow pastors not talk to each other, you know, or ignore one another. Whatever, and I'm going like, what is going on here? Think about it. Commit to life-giving relationships. Jesus is saying, listen to what he says, love your neighbor, bless those who curse you, do good, pray for those who spitefully use you. He's saying, even if they're bringing death, make sure you bring life. Oh, come on. That's got to be worth a great amen from you. Come on. You know, he says, come on. This is what you've got to do. You bring life. You bring life. I am not responsible for what other people do, but I'm very responsible for what I do. Am I going to choose to bring life? Now, I'd love to tell you that I've been just thinking like that all my life, but one of the most significant shifts in my life, probably a decade or more ago, I began to realize that many of the great decisions in life needed to be made about who I wanted to be in God, not what other people did. I probably told you this story. Once uh, I was playing basketball, as I used to play a lot, and I'd been giving one of the referees uh, just a bit of help. Uh, can't say it was a good thing. And he was only a youngish man, and I'd really been riding him pretty hard. And whether it was justified or not really wasn't the issue. But I finished the game. If you ask me, did we win or lose, I can't remember. But on the way home, I'm alone in the car, except that the Holy Spirit's in the back seat. And the Holy Spirit in the back seat is saying to me, turn around, go back and apologize. And in my head, I'm going, oh yeah, God, but you know, it won't. what good would that do? And, and you know, he's probably forgotten. Wasn't that big a deal? And so I stubbornly keep driving on my way home. Finally, I thought, oh, all right, I'll give in. And I found an exit off the freeway, turned around, drove back. Now, by the time I got back there, at least 30 minutes has passed since the end of the game. The young man is refereeing another game. I waited until there was a pause in play, went up to him, and I said, I've come back to apologize. I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. He looked at me and said, he laughed and said, 
what, you came all the way back to say that? You didn't have to do that. I'm okay. And I looked at him and these words came out of my mouth. I've never forgotten them. I said, you know, it's not about you. It's about me and about the kind of person I want to be. And that's not it. And those words there have helped me a lot in life when I've struggled to think, well, yeah, but it's not fair or they don't deserve it. I go, it's not about them. It's about the kind of person that I want to be. These people Jesus is speaking about is someone who, no matter how they're treated, they give life in return. They say no to unforgiveness. They say no to hurt. And they say that no unfairness is worth the price of holding on to a bitter spirit, holding on to something that ultimately is going to damage you in your life. Here's the fourth one. The fourth one after commit to putting God first, committing to a life of purpose, commit to life-giving relationships. You're still with me? Number four is commit to serving. I just love the opportunity to serve. I love the fact that God's invited me into partnership. I'm not just some kind of, you know, beautiful adornment to the body of Christ. I'm not like a necklace around, you know, Jesus' neck. You know, you're not like a, a, a nice garment that he takes on and off. Uh, we are a very much a part of what God is doing. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 25, Jesus called the disciples to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can I tell you a couple of reasons why people stop that journey of serving? Why people, you know, they serve God with enthusiasm and passion and then somewhere along the way something happens and now when you go back to their life, they're not serving God. You know, they'll tell you they believe in God, but there's nothing more than that. Well, for some people, they just get tired. Galatians 6 verse 9 says this, uh, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. That scripture is there because it's very possible for you just to get tired. I know that from time to time, you can allow tiredness to get into your soul. And it'll prevent you loving God. You're just there like, oh, no, God, I'm just tired of all this. They're the times I know I need to pull aside, get refreshed back to the life of purpose, back to putting God first, back to life-giving relationships and say, Lord, I'm here for you. And I want you to energize me again. Some people, well, they stop serving because they feel unappreciated. The devil lies to them and says what they're doing doesn't really matter. You know, I love that verse in Nehemiah, I think it's chapter 6, where Sanballat and Tobiah, the Ammonite, they were trying to stop the building of the wall. And they said to Nehemiah, come meet us in the plains of Ono. And his response, and he's building a wall, his response is, I am doing a great work. He's building a wall, for goodness sake. But I love the fact that he wasn't going to allow the enemy to tell him that it was meaningless work. If you're doing it for Jesus' sake, then it's significant work, regardless of how others might look at it. It says about the Pharisees, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. These are the people who come to church and they're looking to see, did the pastor say thank you? 
Did the leader of that team thank me for what I've done? Uh, you know, if you meet a Christian and they're always telling you how much they've given up to serve God, maybe they just need to stop and look at the cross and see what he gave up for them. Amen. The third thing that stops people serving is a spirit of entitlement. It's kind of like, you know, I've done all the heavy lifting. You know, I've been a part of this church for so long. Look what I've done, man. I, you know, I've, I've done all this stuff. Well, here the Apostle Paul, towards the end of his ministry, this is what he says in Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind. They weren't all bad things. Sometimes you've got to forget your good things. All the stuff you've done, the achievements you've made, sometimes you've got to let those things go. He says, I'm reaching forward to the things that are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, he says, I haven't arrived. I'm not there. I'm still pressing on. When you've got that kind of spirit, entitlement will have no place in your life. Here's the last one, number five. Pray these are helping you. If you want to build a life where you love God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, you need to commit to a life of gratitude. Nothing will guard your heart from staleness, from pride, from comparison, from carnality or from tiredness more than having an attitude of gratitude in your life. Psalm 92 and verse 1, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. It's a good thing. It's not a hard thing. It's a wonderful thing. I believe absolutely in the power of gratitude. I think it is perhaps one of the most powerful things anybody, whether you're a Christian or not, can do. Live a life of gratitude. Right now, we've got the whole world telling us how bad everything is, saying, oh, look, and many people are looking at what they've lost, what they don't have, what they can't do. And I'm not saying those things aren't real because gratitude doesn't pretend that there aren't bad things going on. But gratitude chooses what it's going to put in the foreground, in the focus of the shot. Gratitude says, I'm going to thank God no matter what. I'm going to sing praise unto Him regardless. The Bible says, I've given you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The person may feel heaviness, but they say, no, I'm going to live a life of gratitude in Jesus' name. Hey, High Point Life, I pray that all this will challenge you. It challenges me. I'm preaching this, but to be really honest, you know, I'm just like you. I need occasionally to be reminded that these things are foundational. Most people don't stumble over the complicated. They stumble over the simple, and these are simple. I love the fact that not one of them requires me to feel anything at all. To put God first doesn't require a feeling. To live a life of purpose, I don't have to have an emotion of it. Even to commit to life-giving relationships, I can choose to bless, I can choose to give, I can choose to forgive no matter what feelings I have. I can commit to serving others whether I feel it or not. And I can certainly commit to a life of gratitude no matter what's happening in my emotional life. Listen, I want to pray for you. If you don't know Christ, I pray you'll say yes to Jesus and really make him Lord of your life. I don't know who everyone is that's a part of this service, but I'm praying for you that Jesus will become real to you. He really wants to, you know. Christianity is not a religion to follow. It's a savior to know. 
And I really pray that you will know the Savior in your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for High Point Life and all the people that are a part of this service, no matter who they are or where they are. No matter, Lord, whether right now things are going amazingly in their life or whether things are challenging for them. I pray, God, that every one of us will be able to say, Lord, I'm doing my best to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, Lord. I'm going to follow you. God, help us to do the simple things. They're not difficult. Help us to do those things, Lord, and do them well. Lord, again, we are so grateful to you for your salvation. We're grateful for your help. We're grateful for your strength, Lord. We're grateful for your revelation and your leading in our life. We're grateful, Lord, for your plans for us that are for good and not for evil. And Father, we thank you. I bless these people. I bless this church. I bless these believers in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, High Point Life, you know, we love you. We're praying for you. We are so looking forward to sometime soon being able to come visit with you again. But in the meantime, it's Jeff Woodward here just saying, God bless you all. Thank you for letting me share with you today. God bless.